1: Great to be with you. I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here at our Garfield Memorial Church. As Pastor Scott said earlier, we have no idea how many locations. And we're just glad you're with us today, uh, that you're connecting, that we are beginning our week in worship together. Right in our homes, uh, on the road, Uh, I I was looking on our little uh, feeds on our online, and people are worshiping from all over. This is the way that we widen the circle that we extend the power of God is through our individual testimonies. And I don't know, that video just seemed right on time for me this week. What do you see when you look into the face of another? Do you see the imagio Dei? Do you see the image of God? And so during these times, uh, people have said, what can we do? All we can do is connect. We can, we can build that beloved community. And so we have a couple opportunities coming up. Pastor Terry referred to them. Uh, we hope that you'll you'll take advantage of uh, something we do here. It's a nine-week journey called Multi-Ethnic Conversations. Talking about race in a very healthy way. We've been doing that for the last five years. Close to 700 folks have gone through that. This is a great time for you to jump in. Make that commitment. I'm going to be a builder of a better community, a better country, a better world. What Jesus called the best kingdom. And jump in with us. You can do that from all over. We don't know where you're worshiping with us right now. You can be in Seattle. You can be in California. You can be in Alabama. We've heard all of the above. Jump into that group with us. And also, a second opportunity is going to be a book study that we're doing on the book White Fragility. And you can jump into that. I already ordered mine on Amazon. I'd read excerpts from it, but I haven't read it cover to cover. I intend to do that over the next several weeks. And there'll be a couple of opportunities for us to jump in together online and talk about that. So I hope you'll do that. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Dream speech coined a phrase that has rang eternal in my ears. He said, out of the mountain of despair comes a stone of hope. I've been looking out into our world looking for those stones of hope. We know the mountains of despair. I mean, the media is always going to put those in front of us. I'm not blaming them. Bad news sells, and we see the bad news, and we need to see the bad news. We, we shouldn't be like ostriches putting our heads in the sand. We need to understand what's affecting people. But even in the midst of that, Dr. King had the courage to say, look for the stones of hope. And I thought about that as I remembered a story I heard years ago that, that made me weep. It was about a 26-year-old named Kayla Mueller. Kayla Mueller was an aid worker, and she was working over in the Middle East, and she was captured by ISIS at the time that they were very active there. And on February 10th of 2015, the U.S. intelligence informed her family their worst fears, that Kayla had, in fact, been killed. But her family came out in the media and they shared the last letter that Kayla wrote them in 2014. And I pulled it out this week to remind myself that against the backdrop of despair, there are stones of hope. And listen what Kayla wrote to her family. First off, she apologized profusely because she said, I know I'm putting you all through suffering I never intended to do. But then she wrote these words. I remember mom always telling me that all in all, in the end, the only one you really have is God. I've come to a place and an experience where in every sense of the word, I have surrendered myself to our creator because literally there is no one else. By God and by your prayers, I have felt tenderly cradled in freefall. I have been shown, watch this. That in darkness there is light. I've learned that even in prison one can be free. I am grateful. I have come to see there is good in every situation. Sometimes you just have to look for it. Listen to that 26-year-old at this crucial moment. At the end of her life. Putting on her spiritual PPE putting on what I want to talk today about, the shield of faith. And if she can do it at that kind of moment, then we ought to be able to do it. Because let me say something to you, friends. The Bible is very clear, and, and the Word of God is very clear, that this spiritual PPE that we're talking about, what Paul called the armor of God, it is available to us. Paul says, this is here, it's it's for you, it's created for you. You just need to take it up and put it on. In fact, if you read earlier in the book of Ephesians, I love what Paul says. He says these words early on. He said, the Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. Do you see that? In the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Past tense. It isn't, well, someday God will bless us. God has already done it. And then this one. God raised us up, past tense, with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. Do you know what that means? It says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you know what that, and he seated us there? I mean, past tense? Do you know what it means to be at the right hand of the throne of God? That was the seat of power. That was the seat of the prime minister. That God's power is available to us. And it was a seat of intimacy you could whisper in the ear of the king. And God has said said to us, we have, through Jesus Christ, have been given this kind of power and this kind of intimacy already, not down the road somewhere. And, And I love Peter. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Peter, in his own testimony, said these words. He said, his divine power has given us everything to lead a godly life. We have been given spiritual PPE, friends, and learn on, on Kayla Mueller's dime, a 26-year-old that in the midst of utter darkness, learned how to put it on. So I want to talk today about the shield of faith. The shield of faith, I'm going to say this to you, is a unique piece of the, of the armor of God, Paul says, for a very unique time. Watch that. A unique piece... For a unique time. What do I mean by that? Well, if you study Roman soldiers who would have worn this armor, the shield was something you didn't use all the time. The shield was something you used only for certain times. Okay? Now, we got to get over the little movie images and cartoons we have of those little circular shields, right? Doing battle like Captain America, Do you know that the Roman shields were almost like a door? We have some pictures we're going to throw up there for you. The Roman shields were two by five, two and a half feet wide, five feet tall. They were almost the size of the the soldier himself. And sometimes they did, you see that picture there, what's called, they would build the shield wall. So you would only pick this shield up at certain times in the battle. Anybody have a guess when that would be? Throw it out there in the comments. Pastor Kurt will grade you. Okay? You use the shield of faith not on your way to the city in your hand-to-hand combat. You used your shield when you were straight up against the enemy. When you were at the walls of the city. Or when you met your enemy out there in the field of battle. This is an a article that we use on the front lines. The shield was so important because see, when you're on the front lines, when you're up against the wall, guess what? People up there are firing flaming arrows at you. Sometimes they're pouring molten lead at you because, because they're trying to get you to run. Paul says we put on the spiritual PPE so we can stand, but the enemy wants you to flee because you're so close. And Paul says we're going to take the shield of faith up to resist those flaming arrows, those fiery darts of the enemy. You need to pick the shield of faith up when you're on the front lines. That's what Kayla Mueller teaches me. And so I want to say to you that the shield of faith is for your front line moments of faith. What are front line moments? Front line moments is where you're at a pivotal moment. You're at, you're at that crucial moment in your life. Discouragement, ultimate disappointment, grief, betrayal, whatever it is. Uh, you know, Fear, uh, irrational fear overcoming us. You are right there on the front line. And, and, and you need this shield of faith. You need to, at this moment, grab this so it can help you. I'll never forget, uh, Dr. Coleman Brown is in heaven now. He was my mentor. He's the man that brought me to Christ, my college chaplain, and he officiated Terry and I's wedding. He was, a, was my, my greatest spiritual mentor I've ever had in my life. And I'll never forget, when he was retiring from Colgate University, I drove out for the ceremony they were having for him, and I couldn't wait to tell him that God had put a call on Terry and my life, and we were going to leave the corporate arena. We were going to sell the business and go into full-time vocational ministry. I was gonna be like him. See, some of you want to be like Mike. I wanted to be like Coleman. And so I went in there and after we did the ceremonies, he took me to his office and we could have a conversation. That office where so much spiritual development happened in my life. So much healing happened in my life. And I was joyful and I said to him, Coleman, I got something to tell you. And he was very okay. I said, I'm leaving the corporate arena. I'm going into full-time ministry. Terry and I are going to go share the gospel just like you have and Irene, your wife, for all these many years. I expected to get a standing ovation. What I got was utter silence. And he put his head down in prayer. And I said, Coleman, wait a minute. Did you hear me? I'm getting ready. And he put his hand up. And he said to me something I'll never forget. He said, Satan could use me right now as easily as God. Do you understand what he was doing? He knew this was a pivotal moment. He knew the impact he had on my life as kind of an apprentice with him. He knew that whatever came out of his mouth at that moment would be extremely significant in my life. And he guarded himself, and he was patient, and he waited on the Lord. And he put up the shield of faith. So you need the shield of faith at pivotal moments. This isn't just with the normal aches and pains of life, with the normal anxieties that come. These are those crucial moments. These are, you know, and these are these moments when fiery darts are coming into our lives. Because let me say something to you. Lust, temptation, anger, all those things that get the best of us Usually they're growing out of our own hearts, right? But there are some times when you feel something from the outside is coming on you. And you basically say to God, you know what, God? I'm pretty capable of these thoughts all on my own, but this is not coming from me. And that's when the fiery darts are coming. That's when the the flaming arrows are coming. And that's when you need to shield faith because why they had the shield of faith at the wall was when they threw down the flaming arrows or the molten, you wanted it to explode on the shield and not on you. And when those moments come, when you feel something from the outside is coming after me on the inside, I need to turn to this particular piece of spiritual PPE and take it up. So understand, at those moments, you need to beware, right? We always hear that word, beware, beware the dog, beware the electric fence. Isn't beware such a negative word, right? It it, just, it just kind of scares us. Do you know what the word beware means? Be wary. In fact, the word wary literally means, be keenly alert. All it's saying is, be aware of your surroundings. Be woke, right? Look around, understand what, what is happening in these particular moments. I'll never forget, I love to, back when I owned a boat, uh, I used to go out fishing on Lake Erie, and I always had a boat that was capable of handling uh, that lake, that great lake that we reside on that can, storms can come up so quick, if you know anything about Lake Erie, because it's so shallow. And my friend and I, back in the 90s, we were fishing off of Avon Point, and we would plow it out, maybe 10, 15 miles out. We were right on the border of Canadian waters and fishing for the fish. But we had all of our safety equipment. We had our ship-to-shore radio, and we could stay on the weather. We would keep it on the weather channel. And we heard that a storm was developing off of Sandusky. And we could listen that the wind and the waves of the storm were traveling at five miles an hour. So we could track that, we had our clocks, we knew about when it would arrive, we knew we had about a 30 minute run into shore, we had it all calculated. And I don't know if any of you who fish, the fishing is always the best before the storm. I don't know why God created it that way. When the fronts come in, the fish turn on, we were catching so many fish, but we had it, we knew. And when we said, okay, we got to make our run, we took our lines in, got the downriggers up, began to head for shore. We were only a mile in, and we saw there was another boat out there. And it was a smaller boat. It was something called a tri-haul, which is not the most seaworthy sh- uh, boat to be out in. And it was a dad and about a seven-year-old son. And they were fishing, and they were having fun. And their back was to the storm. Because we could see, you know, on the water, you can see a long way away. And we saw, oh shoot, it was maybe a good 45 minutes or an hour to get to us, but we could see the lightning. And I tried to grab my radio to call, hey man, take a look. He didn't have an antenna. He didn't have a radio. So we flew over to that boat and we were like, hey man, look behind you. And they turned around and started reeling their lines up and, and firing their way in. And I realized my engine was a little bigger than theirs. So my, my buddy said, we got to go slow. we got to make sure they get into shore. And I'm going to tell you, we got in through that break wall and got our boats up on the trailer just before the storm hit. And I've never forgotten that. And I've asked myself, how many times have I in my life had my back to the storm? No antenna up, frolicking, enjoying Thinking, I, you know, I've got everything on control. Be wary. Be aware at those pivotal moments. Because God gives us a gift of spiritual PPE to put on. So here's what I'm going to do. A little bit of time I got left, half the message. Here's what we're going to do. Two pivotal moments I want to talk to you about to be wary. And two ways that we can take up the shield of faith. You Ready? Here's the first pivotal moment to be very wary about moments of vulnerability moments of vulnerability when you're vulnerable guess what when you're on the front lines you're vulnerable you could have 10 times the amount of soldiers up against the wall of the city but guess what they're up there and you're down here and and you have to recognize these moments when I'm vulnerable, when I'm angry, when I haven't been getting enough sleep, when I'm overextended, when, when I'm bitter, pay attention to moments of vulnerability, because the shield of faith is not something you use all the time, but it's something you use to, need to use in those moments. Think about Judas. Judas, uh, the uh, intimate follower of Jesus, who, who rejected Jesus, who betrayed Jesus, what happened? He was vulnerable. I don't know what made him vulnerable. We know so little about Judas. Here's two things we know. First off, his last name was Iscariot. Well, he was referred to as Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. And Iscariot in the Greek was actually a derivation of the word for Sicarii. The Sicarii Iscariot of the Sicarii. The Sicarii were political freedom fighters. They were called dagger men, they had a political agenda. They wanted Rome out of, out of uh, Israel. And maybe, maybe it was Judas's politics that made him vulnerable. I don't know. Maybe with you, I mean, do your politics somehow become more important than your faith? Maybe that happened to Judas. His agenda was more important than the word, living word of God right in front of him. And when that happens, you're vulnerable. And I don't care which side of the equation. They'll exploit it. They'll tell you, oh, they're going to take away your Second Amendment lights. Oh, they're going to take away your right to choose. And all of a sudden, all those irrational fears start coming in your life. And you're vulnerable. The other time we have Judas, the only other really story we have is when Mary came and anointed him. Uh, Jesus with the alabaster box. You remember that? This extravagant moment of worship and generosity. Do you remember the story? John tells it, Judas got an attitude, right? And and John takes a little zinger at him. You know how brothers are. Well, yeah, he used to steal anyway. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it was money. Maybe Judas was greedy. Maybe he was materialistic. Maybe he thought he should get that money, not not have it wasted on uh, on Jesus for a burial that he didn't even know was about to take place. Maybe he hated women. Most people in that day did. Maybe he was a misogynist. Maybe he was a sexist. We don't know what Judas' problem was. What we do know is he got an attitude. And he was vulnerable. You read this in the story of Cain and Abel, right? Where Cain murdered his brother. You remember the story? Foundational story. First time the word sin is ever used in the Bible is in the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel took their offerings to God. And it seemed like God liked Abel's offering a little more. And it says, Cain's countenance fell. Do you know what that means in the, in the Hebrew language? I love it. It says his face slid off his skull. You ever had an attitude like that? Right? And look what God said to him when that happened in Genesis 4, 6. He says, why are you angry, Cain? Why has your face slid off your skull? Sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you. You must master it. Do you hear even back in the foundational scriptures, God is saying, Cain, put on your spiritual PPE. You need the shield of faith. You're on the front lines. You've got an attitude. And your enemy, I don't know if you remember my sermons at the beginning of the series about Satan, he is an opportunist. He's waiting for an opportune time. He's lurking at the door. Your enemy is on the front lines. And he's waiting for this moment. I live in my house with an opportunist. I do. I got a picture of her. She's got four legs. She's the most spoiled uh, yellow lab in the history of the world. She's very, very coy. We call her the diva. You ask her to come to you. She doesn't always come. She makes her decisions, right? But let me tell you something. Get a plate of food. Go to the dining room table. Go out on the back porch with, you know, a hamburger and you know, to enjoy the outdoors. And here comes the opportunist. And she slides under the table and she's just waiting for what? Something might fall off that plate. And before they can pick it up, I'm going to be on it. Now in a very, very beautiful way, a loving way, my opportunist shows us the evil side of the enemy. He's just lurking. He's just waiting. We talked about Judas. Uh, Scott, Pastor Scott's going to lead us in communion at the end of his story. Do you remember what John said about the very first communion? Watch this. He said, after Judas received the piece of bread, wow. Satan entered into him. At that moment, at that particular time, He's an opportunist. Would you pay attention when you're vulnerable, when you're real proud, when you're real angry, when you're just tired? Pay attention. Put up the shield of faith. Here's the second time you have to pay attention to. Moments of mission. Moments of mission. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is when, you know, if, if, if you're not trying to do anything important with your life, you probably don't feel the fiery darts. I'm going to say this to you. If you are extremely lukewarm in your faith, where church and God is just something once in a while, don't expect fiery darts. But you go up there and put your foot on that wall, and you try to do something to better your life, and better your marriage, and be a better parent, and be a better follower of Jesus Christ, you go do something to get out there on the front lines, expect it to be attacked. You know, if you, you come into, you, you know, maybe I, I, I've listened this week. I was talking with some pastors, pastors, young pastors, who last Sunday preached about racism for the first time in their ministries. They'd never done it, but they put their foot on the wall, and they got the enemy's attention, and they were extremely attacked this week. You go out there, come into multi-ethnic conversations, come into white fragility, go into ministry by strengths, go into temperament and say, I want to do better. I want to learn how to be a peacemaker. I want to learn how to talk with my temperament. I want to learn how to be an ambassador for peace. Expect to be attacked because you put your foot on that wall. Every single gospel writer agrees that when Jesus went forward for baptism, when he made his public profession of faith, At that moment, he was led out into the wilderness, and he was attacked. And so will you be too. When you speak up for justice and put your foot on that wall, expect to be attacked. When you open your mouth and tell people about the love of Jesus Christ that has carried you through, expect to be attacked. So pay attention on those moments of vulnerability and those moments of mission. Let me hurry here. Seven minutes and I'm done. Two ways to raise the shield of faith. First, I say to you, have some go-to scriptures. What do I mean by that? I mean, have some verses in the Bible. Get into the Bible. Spend some time. Find some of those verses, some of those words that just bring you life. I'm not talking about reading First Corinthians 13 at a wedding or Psalm 23 at a funeral just because you think you should do it. That's religion. What I'm talking about is digging in to those scriptures that breathe life into you, that, that help you raise <coughs> oh, excuse me, the shield of faith. I rebuke you, Satan. Anyhow, that help you raise the shield of faith. What would those be? Well, my wife and I, if you know, uh, we, we'll be married 30 years this year. It's exciting. We've been together dating for 32 years uh, in our lives. But we got together back in the 1980s when only 10% of America was in favor of interracial marriage. Now let me say to you, we had some dear friends that loved us, but we didn't have any big crowd cheering us on. And you know what happened at those moments? We had to put up the shield of faith. And you know what scriptures we ran to? Watch this. If God be for us, who can be against us? Here's another one. What God has brought together... The two shall become one. Therefore, what God has brought together, let no one separate. In fact, the old King James used to say, put asunder. You know what that word asunder means? Divide. And Terry and I, when we were attacked, we would pray, if God has brought us together, we're going to put up the shield of faith, and we don't care if the world tries to divide. Do you have go-to scriptures like that? My sister Marilyn was struck and stricken with cancer at 44 years of age that would ultimately take her life. And, and she was fighting that. And I'll never forget in her house, I would go and be praying with her. And you know what? She had scriptures taped all over her house. In the morning when she'd brush her teeth, scripture taped on the mirror. When she'd go down to play her piano, she was a graduate of Cleveland Institute of Music, scriptures taped on the piano. When she would go to make her coffee, scriptures taped on the coffee maker. And I remember walking around that house and there was one scripture that popped up everywhere I went. It was John 14, 27 that simply says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. My big sis had some go-to places and it helped her face the enemy just like Kayla Mueller did in that darkness that she experienced do you have go-to scriptures? If you don't, would you do me a favor? Would you crack open your Bible this week? Would you just read from the Gospels, read from the Psalms, just spend a little time reading? And when that verse grabs your heart, would you write it down? Would you hold on to it? So that when you're discouraged, when you're disappointed, when your heart is overwhelmed, you're gonna pull out like my big sis did. Take that devil John 13, 14, 27. Find those places to lift that up. And the last thing I want to say to you before we close, not just have a go-to scriptures, but have a go-to person. Now what I mean by that is, you probably thought I would say go-to people. And and you know what? If I preached this 20 years ago, that's what I would have said. Have some go-to people. Because I was blessed in my life to have go-to people. I had mentors. Here's something. I I can't preach this. I have a whole sermon on it. But when God begins to feed you, he will always feed you through the hands of others. I don't know if you know that. Everybody remembers that Israel ended up slaves in Egypt, right? The whole story with Moses. Do you remember how they got there? They got there because they were in famine. And God had strategically placed Joseph in Egypt. And God placed Joseph there so that Pharaoh could feed the people. Before Pharaoh was a curse to the people, he was a blessing. And they went down to be fed by the hands of others. But what happened? They stayed too long. Don't lean on the hand of flesh too long. God will always feed you through others. But it's a way for him to lead you to him. And now that I'm 20 years down the road... All my mentors, Dr. Coleman Brown, Dr. Gardner C. Taylor, Dr. Manning Marable, Dr. Gerald Mann, they're all in heaven now. And it struck me when I was writing this message that 20 years ago when I would call them, hey, what should I do? I wonder who they were calling. (laughs) Now I got all these young pastors calling me. And who do I call? The same one they called, the person. The person of Jesus Christ who has been through it all. This is what the Bible tells us. We have a high priest, not a religious person, but a high priest who is, un, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, right? We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are without sin. You ever thought about that? Satan took him out in the wilderness and tempted him and tested him. He didn't have any sin, but he had fiery arrows thrown on him. And how did he handle it? He responded with go-to scriptures. You, man, People don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. You shall not put the Lord your God to a test. It is written, worship God and serve only him. He had go-to scriptures, so should we. And he was the go-to person for us. Who has shown us, even at those moments, he knows how to hold up the sheet of the faith. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, let this cup pass. But let me put up the shield of faith. Not my way, but your way, Lord. That's who we got to go to. Let let me wrap this up by saying this. I love what Mark says after Jesus' baptism. He says it this way. He says that Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. Watch this. And he was with the wild beasts and angels ministered to him. Why did he say that? He's the only one that says it. Do you know Mark was the earliest gospel writer? Every biblical scholar that's worth their salt tells us that when Matthew and Luke wrote their gospels, they would have had a copy of Mark. And as the earliest gospel writer, what were the early Christians going through? Persecutions in the Colosseum. Remember? Christians fed to the the lions, the wild beasts. And it's almost like Mark is saying to that early church, your Lord has been there too. He has been in front of the wild beasts, but angels ministered to him. And so follow his example. Why do we see these Christians in those early days when the lions were coming down on them, they sang hymns? Because they had a go-to person. We're gonna close this worship service out. And uh, I had a conversation with one of our worship pastors over here, Dre Bracy, this week. There was a little song that came out during Hurricane Katrina and it was about a a grandmother who'd been rescued from from New Orleans and and she was uh, taken to one of those massive facilities and she was in a wheelchair and and somebody saw her and they saw this light in her. She should have been panicking, but she wasn't. She was ministering to others from her wheelchair and they just dreamed, a little gospel writer down in New Orleans dreamed about... That, 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 what was she doing? She was going to her go to person. And this little song that we're going to sing has become a song to me. I asked Dre to sing it and he blew me away. He said, Yeah, we sang this at Dre and at our wedding, Dre and Leah. You wonder why they're a power couple? Because they centered themselves, even at that moment, on the name that is above every name. That every knee will bow below the earth and on the earth and above the earth. And they just visioned this grandmother in this wheelchair ministering to people. Calling on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And when people were sick, calling on healer, healer, healer. And when people saying, you you almost lost your life. Saying, Savior, Savior, Savior. And when saying, you should give up. She put up the shield of faith and said, thank you, thank you, thank you. This is a song I sing when I'm in trouble. Let it be our prayer today. Dre, lead us.
0: Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Jesus, Jesus, Jesus We call him Savior Savior, Savior, Savior Savior, Savior, Savior Savior, Savior, Savior Savior, 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 Savior. Come on, say it again Say, Savior Everybody sing it. Oh God, Jesus, Jesus, say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We say that You are healing. i